Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ironworks Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And today we're going to continue our series on the Trinity. But before we do, Zachary, we are in the month of December now. We are. Christmas is coming up. Yes. Have you all been watching your yearly allotment of Christmas movies so far? Already, yes. Yeah? We are well into (laughs) Christmas movie season. We've already hit, let's see, Elf, Home Alone 1. Home Alone 2, the one that has the Trump cameo. Do you know what we were laughing at at the dinner table last night? Uh, No, what? We were laughing because the kids asked me, they said, what's your favorite trap in Home Alone? Sure. One and this two. Is a great dinner and table question. And you yes. learn things about yeah, your kids. So, so which is it? What's the best trap? In Home Alone 1 or 2? Yeah, put them together, either one. As a dad, the one that makes me cringe the most is when he, he puts the little, like the jacks and the toy cars on the basement stairs. Cause you know you can your feet can feel that when you're watching. Ugh. It's like and he slide and he hits his head on the basement stairs going down. I used mm-hmm. to have stairs that are like that those old like wood stairs that are super steep into a basement and you yeah. whack your head either on the stairs or on the um on the like the I don't know what to call it but it's like basically the concrete like going down. You always hit your head. So that that one I, I felt as a dad. So that was kind of like your lived experience. Yeah yeah yeah. I was like oh that, that doesn't. That doesn't I seem I good. think for me it's it's. Used to be the blowtorch in the first one where he also opens good. up the door. Yep. These movies are like a Wiley e. Coyote cartoon yeah. or like Sylvester the cat. Right. Like so he just gets opens the door and gets his hair on fire. But I still think the best one is the bricks in Home Alone 2 where he's just throwing bricks off the roof <laughs> and hitting him in the head. And you know, I like it because there's no subtlety, there's no trick. He's just throwing bricks, and it keeps going, and he's not getting hit. Those movies are like, there's something that's very like they're cartoons. Not, it's like watching totally a cartoon. cartoons. They're very funny, and no one would make that movie today for so many reasons. And I just I like them for that reason. So now we've done Home Alone. What did I say? I said Home Alone, Elf. Did you watch Jingle All the Way yet? Speaking of Christmas comedies. No, we've not watched Jingle oh, All the Jingle Way yet. All we've the watched way all so of funny. the Grinch movies. The I new saw one. online somewhere that uh, many people don't like Jingle All the Way for some reason. I don't understand how you can dislike it. I don't know. That movie. Some people think, well, we were just talking before we hit record. Some people don't. Some people think that Arnold Schwarzenegger being hilarious and doing puns isn't funny. And those people are sad and I don't <laughs> they know need how a to help Christmas them. spirit. Yeah, like, gee. Oh man. Well, uh, what are you right, guys so watching? Uh, just, I mean, kind of the things I've already mentioned here, but we uh, watched Mickey's Christmas Carol. I love uh-huh. a Christmas Carol. The story is probably, yes. it's one of my favorite books, period. Oh, here we go. And so, so what's I'll your watch, favorite I'll Christmas watch Carol any movie? version of a Christmas Carol okay. at any time. And so we watched Mickey's Christmas Carol. But what's your favorite one? Ooh, there's probably a good blend, right? You could probably cobble together a perfect Christmas Carol movie. Yeah. I think not the Muppets one. I know everybody likes what? the Muppets. No, it's you? not the Muppets. That's, that's heretical. No, I, I think probably <laughs> my favorite one, actually, even though it's got some parts that are really dopey in it, is the animated one with Jim Carrey in it. Because it's, um, it's, I think the music is yeah, so yeah, good yeah. in that one. And it's definitely like... The Polar Express, Uncanny Valley. Yes, these don't yes, look yes. like real Weird people. Weird digital animation, <laughs> like rotoscoped or mocapped. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but the, I like that a lot because the music plays so well. It's it's basically word for word exactly what the book right. is. All the dialogue. There's that weird like 3D chase scene at the end with the Ghost of Christmas Future that I don't understand what that was all about. But so you're not a George C. Scott respecter. I like household? George C. Scott that's, a lot because that's the but, old old one, right? Where the, and he goes to hell in that yeah. one. It's like crazy, <laughs> like like legit. Yeah, that we one. watched that one in my sixth grade 
class, Mrs. Waterworth's English class. Oh, wow. Okay. We read A Christmas Carol and we watched the George C. Scott version. And she had, you know, those little Christmas dolls that you see where they're like the carolers, like holding a candle and they, their mouths are wide open, like in a little circle. Sure. So she had every one of the characters for that. And that was kind of her, her thing. Interesting. Mrs. Waterworth. I'll never forget that. (laughs) And she had a very strong Tidewater Virginia knife. So Mrs. Waterworth. Mm -hmm. And so she was, she was a nice, nice lady. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I have found that it's a wonderful life hits harder. The older I get. That's because you have kids now. Yeah. When you become a man and you've actually like had a few things pass you by or, you you know, it's not quite what you thought it was going to be. Our hard lives in our early 30s. Or you know people who have, (laughs) right? Like it's, it's, yeah. The, I never realized until last year when I watched that movie, obviously when he's freaking out in the house, Uh like when they've lost the money and he knows he's going to be arrested and he's going to go to prison. Uh, and he goes in his kids playing the piano and he freaks out and he's, you know, smashes everything in the room. I never realized until last year that what he's breaking are all these models he's built of like bridges and skyscrapers and stuff. So right. his it's whole like thing was, I'm going to go out and I'm going to yeah. build things. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get the moon, Mary, and I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to build things. And so he's, he's freaking out, not because I'm going to jail, but because my life is of, a yeah, yeah. big giant mess and here I am building. So I think everybody can relate to that feeling to one degree or another. Sure. But well, I told you uh, that he a lot of that breakdown apparently was him like basically gi- ha- giving himself live therapy for like war PTSD he had. Apparently, Jimmy, for you, those of you who don't know, what, uh, it's a wonderful life. Jimmy Stewart, the actor, actually apparently went and served. He chose to serve, even though he was asked and begged not to. He chose to serve as a captain of uh, bombers in World War II over Germany, and saw you know, of course, had a really tough time in combat. Air stuff was difficult, and he came home with all this really difficult stuff in PTSD and apparently some of his breakdowns on film in that movie were not intended to be that like intense and people were kind of like okay just kind of let the pain flow yeah he just like kind of used it all for for method acting and now we have that movie which is not one of my favorite christmas movies i'm not gonna lie but at least i, I, have to I like that it. one a lot but i'm a sucker for old movies um Zach and I were actually in a class together in college. We took this elective together oh, yeah, called yeah, Film yeah. as Art. Yes. And it was like a, an like intro film class. <laughs> and really what it what it was is just an intro to film, basically, fun. and yeah. mo- movie appreciation. And so um, Catelyn and I bought a whole bunch of black and white movies after watching that together. Oh, yeah. And that was that's a lot of fun. So I get into that. But I'll tell you one more thing. Uh, we saw we went to the movie theater and we saw that that Journey to Bethlehem Christmas movie. Oh, you told me it wasn't good. Which is like High School Musical Nativity version. That is not a good advertisement. And it was, <laughs> it, if you liked it, guys, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but that was not a great piece of cinema. No? I'm just going to say right. that. Antonio okay. Banderas played King Herod. And mm. it was <laughs> we didn't realize that until we were in the theater and then we go, that's Antonio Ben. That's Puss why, in Boots. Yeah, why is Zorro playing? <laughs> but Zorro. it had a weird, like, uh, they always uh, take creative liberties with it, which yeah. is whatever. But, you know, like, Mary is like this weird girl boss where she's like, I don't want to get married. I want to be a teacher and have a career. And, and like, <laughs> I don't want to have kids. And it was very odd, right? Uh-huh. That's not exactly the picture you get of Mary in the... Yeah, no, that seems historically <laughs> In the Bible. Um, and then, like, Herod's son like finds them at the manger and lets them go rather than, you know, do what actually happened in the Bible, which is kill all the little babies. I must have missed that in the Gospels somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And we're watching this. We're like, isn't that the same son of Herod who's going to crucify Jesus in about 30 years? <laughs> uh-huh. So, I mean, it, you know, it was fine. The music was actually pretty good and some of the songs were all right, but not uh, probably going to be on the, the Blu-ray 
shelf for next year. Uh, it's not going to enter your pantheon of family Christmas movies. No, no. not like uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, yes, that's got to be up there. You like Charlie sure. Brown Christmas? Of course. I was in that play in fifth grade. I was. I'm. I am slowly getting my kids to respect the uh, Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas Christmas album, which mm-hmm. is probably if I had only one Christmas music album to listen to, it would be that one. And we were listening to that in the car the other day. It's it's Christmas it's time incredible. is yeah. here. So good. <laughs> I was in that play in fifth grade. I played Linus oh, in the Charlie Brown yeah, Christmas so play. Yeah, you get the big old. You get the. I got the, the big, big long Bible yeah, speech. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if they did that because I was the pastor's son, <laughs> and everybody knew that. But I did all right, and yeah, that was fun. I love that that whole movie and the, the music. So yeah, well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Whether or not it's Christmas time, you can still celebrate the Lord's birth, and uh, it's it's really a pretty cool way that that we get to celebrate this, and that it is as much as Christmas is always under attack, and is always people that you know, want to gaslight you about why is it a big deal to say happy holidays? And, you know, it's like, well, I'm not the one that banned Merry Christmas. So who's the one taking it too seriously? Right. But, oh my goodness, before we move on, did you ever see, I only saw the poster and that was enough for me that Kirk Cameron saves Christmas movie. Did yes. you you saw no, that? No, I didn't movie? see the movie, but I saw the poster. I chose. If anybody not has to seen see that it. movie, yeah, please tell us. Please post a review because <laughs> it, it's like he Look. has like a candy cane in his hand, <laughs> like he's gonna slay the devil or something. And I was like, this is hilarious. This is like a Babylon B article come to oh, life. Goodness, but yeah. I didn't see I didn't see that movie, but. Um, anyway, I was saying it's it is kind of cool that even with all the opposition that comes our way, our our country still celebrates the end of the year by remembering Jesus's birth. And I always tell people never to discount the fact that people that don't know God and don't even believe the Bible are walking around singing things like joy to the world, the Lord has come or hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. It's actually kind of a cool example of how, you know, the Lord says, I will be glorified on earth. And it's like, I will receive glory. My son will still be glorified for this. Favorite Christmas carol? No, we don't have enough time to do that. Also, oh, Come on, save that for like next one? time, maybe. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, but we um, we're gonna we're gonna get into this, and it's um, we're gonna continue the series on the Trinity. We took a little break for two weeks. We did one with Pastor Lloyd Pulley, had an interview with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a one-off where we talked about Roman Catholicism and why we are not that kind of. Uh, based on Reformation Day, and maybe we do next year, we do a little longer series on that subject. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk great. about the Reformers, it'd be a lot of fun. But today we're um, we're going to talk about the Trinity some more. We've already had five episodes of this. We talked about the definition of the Trinity, which is important in and of itself, to know what we mean when we say the Trinity, because many people, as we will learn today, react against the Trinity but they're not really reacting to what the doctrine is. For example, Abigail Adams has a famous line where she says she's no longer a a Trinitarian where she said, you know, no one will ever be able to convince me that one is three and three is one. And you wanted to smack your hand against your head face palm because like (laughs) nobody's trying to tell you that this is it's deeper than that. And, you know, they were Puritans. You think they would have known a little better, but you know, the enlightenment kind of sinks into people's hearts Mm. and people can be great men. That doesn't mean that they're great believers or great women in that case. And that's of course, John Adams, uh, the second president, (laughs) his wife, in case anybody didn't know who I'm talking about, but it's a misunderstanding. So we had to get the definition down. Number two was the biblical revelation of the Trinity. We talked about why do we believe this? How we kind of walked through the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New and showed how the Bible leads us to this conclusion because we don't believe in the Trinity because it's a traditional doctrine, although it is. We don't believe it because it's a beautiful doctrine, although it is. We believe it because the Bible 
drives us to that place. Uh, then number three, we talked about the ontology of the Trinity. And number four was the economy of the Trinity. Zach, would you remind us of the distinction between the ontology and the economy of the Trinity? Yeah, so it's the, the, the being and doing, right? So so what it's one of them is is what what is the Trinity? Who are the the persons of the Trinity? And then how do they act or how do they what do they do? How do they, you know, work with each other, that kind of thing. And you don't want to get those confused because then you start to make some statements that that are messing with who the who they are in their being and and that's that's not you know, correct, right? Where, so for example, you know, not to jump ahead, but you could, so you don't want to say, oh, well, you know, Jesus in his person is somehow less than God the Father. That's of course wrong. But in the economy of the Trinity, Jesus will often submit himself to the Father's will, right? So there's, that's the difference there. Yeah, being and doing. Ontos means being or be in Greek. And so ontology is the study or the doctrine of the being of God, and the economy is the outworking or the administration of the Godhead, the workings, uh, sometimes as it's called. And then number five, we talked about Christology. There's some matters related to the Trinity that specifically affect the second person of the Godhead, the Son, that's our Lord Jesus himself. We talked about the incarnation, we talked about the hypostatic union, and we had a good time talking about that and what that means for us to be in Christ and how, how glorious that is. And, you know, last time we talked about why we are not Roman Catholics and the disagreement we have there. We could just as easily do another one on why we are not Eastern Orthodox Christians. Uh, but this is something upon which every Christian is in agreement, that we believe in the Trinity. We believe that there is one God in three persons, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance, as Athanasius wrote for us, and as we still believe to this day. And we know that it can be difficult to grasp sometimes, but uh, we've hoped that this series has made it a little easier for you. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, what we'll call the enemies of the Trinity. And some of the people that we're going to talk about today they may hold to one of these views thinking that they are Trinitarian, thinking that they've got it right, and there's a misunderstanding. And I've known some people that have misunderstandings about the Trinity and are prepared to be corrected because they just want to know what the Bible says. But there are others that are very hostile and and have defined themselves by being anti-Trinitarian. And so all of this amounts to the same thing. These are enemies of the doctrine of the Trinity. And we've got several forms of this. We've got some ancient traditions we're going to go through, ancient heresies, I should say. And much of our doctrine in the early church was formed through response to heresy, meaning something that never had to be said formally before. Okay, now we've got to learn how to say it formally. And uh, not all tradition is bad, of course, as Mm -hmm. if it can be backed up by scripture. So here we are. Uh, Zach, do you run into a lot of this? Is this the kind of thing that... uh, you think is very common or do you think this is something that uh, is is less common it just kind of lurks out there what's been your experience opposition with this? to the trinity yes um whether I, whether violent opposition or just uh, indifference that amounts to about the same in thing. the last 10 years much much more than i would have thought i would have um i don't know why what my expectation was other than that to me you know you grow up in the church and you're a a believer and you're an evangelical and I think you just start to assume well of course like these are settled issues right we even though you know back then maybe I didn't I wouldn't have necessarily have had all my you know doctrinal things all nailed down and maybe I you know of course you're always learning about why but you know I was always taught of course like this is this is what we believe there's no question about this so you just kind of assume yeah if you're a Christian if you're gonna call yourself a Christian this is part of that but 
And it's from so many different angles too. It's from, like you said, many people that are just confused where if you, if you talk to them and ask them, but what do you believe about this? The statement that they can come up with it, you, you realize that's not actually orthodox. Right. And, and most folks aren't holding that from some, like, like you said, some angry opposed position. And it really is so true. How many people, they just don't know. They're, they're even sometimes reacting against what they think the Trinity is. Uh But, but there's, but I also have increasingly in the last few years started to come across a lot of, whether it's cult type things, which very, very frequently, I know we've talked about this, cults, one of the number one things that starts getting messed with is, is the Trinity. Um, I've encountered. I'd say invariably. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just happens. Um, online all the time. This is one of the things that just huge wars get fought over. And sometimes it's just people who, you know, really, if you could sit down and have coffee with them, it's clear that they they understand the Trinity and they're just kind of fighting over, you know, ways that things are spoken. And look, I we've talked about, we're doing, this is our, what, our sixth podcast. With, Six we, out of seven. We take this seriously, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to take it seriously, but I've, I've seen questions about it become just bitter bitter argument argument when i kind of would have said guys it's pretty simple like i think we know we we ought to have this sorted um and and then you know of course and i think we probably we've been talking about this a lot where it's brewing at some point we probably need to do a full series on this but islam is a is a new not new is a is a growing thing that you encounter more and more in your daily life, I would say, in, yeah, in, in a, as an American Christian, not in just in the news, but it's in your town. Yeah. And that that's one of the primary, uh, among many, it's one of the primary splits that we have with them is over the doctrine of the Trinity. And and, and that is a violent you know, stance. Yeah, have, literally so. a violent stance yeah. that is often taken. So uh, I, I would say the same thing. I've seen this grown in recent years. And I don't know if this is as I've stepped up into more of a, a primary leadership role, but I even speak to other pastors and men that are older than me and yeah. they they have not experienced, at least seems to me, to the same degree, uh, this opposition to the Trinity. And some of it is ver- rather virulent. And I think most of the time it's misinformed. And I also don't think it's, it's like a it may be a growing trend, but I think that that probably goes in tandem with the growing trend away from Christianity in general. I think most Christians, still, the default position is we believe the Trinity. You have to believe the Trinity or you're not a Christian. They just kind of get that. Mm-hmm. And that's good. I, I think that is the right attitude to have. I think you can certainly nuance that a little bit for people, but like we're trying to do in this series here. But I think that's still still basic. I think you still have songs that sing about the Trinity. You still have pastors that will teach on the Trinity. I think uh, Pentecostals have, in a lot of ways, done a lot of good in this respect by reminding us that the Holy Spirit is a part of this too. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. that mm-hmm. it pushes us towards greater Trinitarian thinking. And there are, of course, Pentecostals who deny the, the Trinity, but we'll talk with them in a little bit. So... I think what it is, is the doctrine of the Trinity on its face sounds so strange to people's just carnal, normal ears that when somebody who is trying to be thoughtful and perhaps does not have a very submissive personality, they might say, well, what do I need to believe this for? I don't, I don't see this in the Bible. And um, they feel that if I can't recreate it, then I don't have to believe it. But as we've shown there's really no way you're going to step <laughs> you're you're going to step on a rattlesnake somewhere if you mm-hmm. don't walk on the path that's been tread before so um 
there's, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of corrections that need to be done. And we're going to uh, go through a lot of these. And we're going to talk about Athanasius and Arius a little bit. I believe we've already done that, if not in this series, then in another series uh, on this podcast. So I'm not going to bore you with all the historical details again of the Arian controversy and the the heretic emperors. But mm-hmm. we are going to look at the doctrine and what Arius taught. Because this first heresy, I don't even know if in if it technically was first in time, but it certainly was the formative opposition that led to the articulation of the Trinity. That if it wasn't for this, I won't say that, because of this, godly men sat down and finished hashing this out, which we still believe mm-hmm, to this day. Mm-hmm. So kind of galvanized that that work of doctrine because they realized, well, you know, we all know this. We've all been teaching this, but we've got to lay this down in print and make it clear and explicit because there's these attacks that are coming, you know, from from heretical views on this. Right. And I will just remind us of this truth that just because the doctrine of the Trinity and the word Trinity was not used in the early centuries of the church. I mean, we're going to be talking about the 300s here, so this isn't that long here, but right. does not mean that they did not believe the things that the doctrine of the Trinity formally would contain. Uh, nobody challenged the various tenets of Trinitarianism until Arius showed up. So people would say, do you believe Jesus is God? Of course I do. Do you believe that Jesus and the Father are distinct from each other? Of course I do. Do you believe that there's only one God? Of course I do. So all the pieces were there. Mm. But how to formally sort those out had not been sorted yet. So it's not that it's similar to the canon in a lot of ways. The canon was established. It was not formally recognized. And when troublemakers started coming into the church, mm-hmm. there was there was a push to formalize that. And that's what we have here. We also, by the way, have Athanasius to thank in large measure for uh his festal letter, as it's called, is very famously the the main piece of evidence that was used to confirm the uh, the canon as we have it with the 27 books of the New Testament that we use today. So we owe an awful lot to this guy. So, mm-hmm. Zach, I've, I've told this story a million times. Do you want to give us the short version of who Athanasius and Arius were and, and what happened to that whole thing before we dive into the doctrine too far? Yeah, I mean, the really short version, and you'll have to correct me where, because it's been a while since we've been over this, but the really short version is that, you know, Arius started coming in with this doctrine that sounded very similar, right, to its, its it, and a lot of people picked it up because he, he didn't start out with this very intense, you know, attacking. It was this very similar sounding teaching of Christianity, but the crucial difference is he taught that there was a time, the classic, you know, formulation of Arianism is there was a time when Christ was not, right, meaning there, there was He's a time He's not eternal. When, He's not timeless. Yeah, there was a time when Jesus did, you know, Jesus Christ did not exist. The Father pre-existed him. Now, of course, that's not Trinitarian. So the, you know, the problem is that he was, as my understanding historically, is that Arius was very uh, charismatic and people loved him. People wanted to listen to him. And he started getting the ear of powerful and important people in political places. So this doctrine starts to spread throughout the Roman Empire. Yeah, Arius was a uh, kind of a sneaky guy, if you go back it and look like, at him. Yeah. Because he had these doctrines, and that's one thing, but then he refused to stop teaching them, so he's put out of his church. Mm-hmm. Then he started going around teaching it anyway in different parts of the of the empire and, and gaining followers and kind of trying to overwhelm the leadership of the church, you know, as a fait accompli rather than actually... Oh, you know, as Paul said, the open statement of the right. truth. And because anytime everybody, anybody heard what he was teaching, 
they absolutely rejected it right away. And then one of his uh, followers, a guy named Eusebius, got the ear of Constantine and then started discipling Constantine's kids as Arians. And Constantine himself was baptized by Eusebius of Nicomedia. So it was um, very sneaky. And that's not how doctrine is to be done. That's not how ministry is to be done. And we get to the point, right, at some point where we talk about, you know, Athanasius contramundum, meaning Athanasius against the world, where at some point Athanasius, as my understanding historically, he was basically the only major church figure who wasn't just sort of floating along with this. He he was kind of saying, this no, is, he was, this he is not up. correct. And he started writing and speaking and, and he suffered, you know, a lot for that, but he didn't give in. And you've got to imagine how intimidating that has to be when all these voices in in what was formerly you know the confessing church all of a sudden are saying well actually this guy because of who he is and he seems like he knows what he's talking so maybe you must be wrong about this athanasius and but he just simply wouldn't give in and god i think used him to basically hang on by his fingernail until this doctrine was finally rolled back and fought against and removed uh, from the church, but we're talking about a doctrine that, you know, un- unfortunately, I mean, a lot of, uh, my understanding is a lot of the, of Europe was evangelized under Aryan, you know, missionaries, the Vikings yes, and they, the Norsemen and stuff like that were, and, and they were evangelized in that way because they, you know, because of their religion, right? If you believe in Thor, who's a warrior God and all this stuff and the son of Odin, right? You're quite ready to believe that, oh, Jesus is, and that's what the missionaries taught. Jesus is just like that. He's, he's, you know, he's God's son, but he's not the same as God. And, and he, he comes and he does all this victory and conquering for God. And, and the, the Vikings liked hearing that. Yeah. Now let's get into some of this doctrine here a little bit just to kind of really break this down. So Arius taught in Egypt and Alexandria that Jesus was not God, that he was a created being mm-hmm. and therefore did not participate or partake of God's divinity in any way. So he believed in this, the term is a monad, right? A Unitarian God who created the Logos to be his voice on the earth, basically, who took a body later on. But the, as Zach said, the big slogan is there was a time when he was not. That there was a, even if it was the smallest fraction of existence, there was a time where there was no Jesus. And that's what eternally separates Jesus from God the Father. This is why we bang the drum of eternal generation so hard. Because uh, somebody actually complimented me on this recently. Said, That's a really good term you came up with, the eternal generation of the sun. I didn't come up with that. Mm. Uh, that's that's all the way thousands of years ago this has been done. So uh, they, they kind of got it right. But uh, also Arius taught that the Holy Spirit was not personal, that it's just a term for the force of God, his power. And mm-hmm. uh, that was not given as much attention at the time. It would be up to the Cappadocian fathers, uh, Basil and the two Gregories, to take that on. But... Um, this we don't have time to go through the whole story. This is where the Council of Nicaea was. They you've heard of the Council of Nicaea, it would have been pronounced with a hard K. It's the city of victory, Nike, like victory, Nicaea. And when the Arian view was presented, the other bishops tore up his speech out of his hand, stomped on it, pushed him out of the hall, didn't let him finish. And we're like, this is ridiculous. How can you teach something like that? That Jesus is not God, very God. So, Speaking of Christmas, right? This yeah, is where this is you Saint get Nick. The, yeah, <laughs> this is where you get the... And apparently some some people who are just real bummers and don't like fun now are, are telling me that this is supposedly a legend. But you know what? I'll, I'll do the research and find out. But I've I, my understanding is, the sto- as the story goes, let's put it this way, is that at that council, one of the people who were so just infuriated that he'd be teaching these heretical doctrines was Saint Nicholas, right, who later on becomes, you know, legendarily Saint Saint Nick, right, Santa Claus. 
And you get this hilarious story that supposedly St. Nicholas just slapped Arius in the face, just like punched him because he just couldn't contain himself that this guy would be allowed to speak these things. And yeah. so I always joke with my just, kids. To stand that, up in a, in a group of Christian pastors and preach that Jesus is not God. Right. And it just, it was making them all angry. And I, I always joke with my kids that that's, that's the real Santa Claus is he punches heretics. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for those of you that are thinking that maybe, well, there was debate and there was discussion, there was dispute. No, there wasn't. They didn't right. even let the guy finish. Right. Like you, no, get out of here. You, you talk about deplatforming. It's like, no, we're not listening to you. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be taught. But as we said, he was very sneaky. He went around behind. But the Nicene Creed, which came from the Council of Nicaea, tried to establish, okay, we don't believe that. And it, believe? It, it anathemized the Arians, but they had some trouble agreeing on what they were going to say. Uh Arians were saying that Christ was of a different hypostasis. When we talk about the one in substance, Christ is a different substance. Uh, the church in the creed said that we believe in the son of God begotten from the father, only begotten, that is from the substance of the father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one substance with the father. That word one substance or same substance is the word homoousias. Usia means substance, right? And homo means the same. And that's what we believe, that Jesus is of the same substance of the Father. Now, there were some at that council that didn't really love that terminology because not because they didn't believe that Jesus was God, but they felt that what they were doing was confounding the persons. Mm. They were not providing enough distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So they all signed it, but they were some of them, they didn't feel this was the best way to put this. Like there's got to be another way. Well, through that that confusion, Arius was able to push through, and, and more especially through uh, Eusebius of Nicomedia, he was able to push this through at a, at a national level. So um, we don't have time to talk about Athanasius and his whole story, how he was exiled five times and he got hustled out of his church by his own congregation while they held off the soldiers at the door. And But uh, he was the one that got out into the desert with the rest of the monks and began to write and began to send letters and began to think and pray through these things. Because remember, the, the debate was over the word homoousios, same substance. The Arians were countering with a different Greek word, homoousios, which means a like substance. They're saying that Jesus isn't God, he's like God. He's not of the same substance, he's of a similar a pretty big substance. Difference. And so this is starting to wriggle its way in, and there's actually uh, historians from the time that say, you go to get your shoes shined, and the guy shining your shoes is asking you what you believe about the homoousios and the homoousios and the begotten and the unbegotten. Mm-hmm. Like, this filled the whole the whole empire. So Athanasius was going to be the one to step up and give a positive definition of this. And uh, he wrote something in 359 AD called the Letter to the Synods, which is the, the church councils. And... What he emphasizes is, all right, Christ is homoousios, same substance, yes, but he is a different hypostasis, meaning he is a different person. He's a different, uh, yeah, well, person would be the term that we would use. And he wasn't saying anything different than what was already said, but he was right. clarifying what it was. And this is you know, where you get debate over uh, contracts, for example, is what was said here. We all kind of know what it's saying, but... When push comes to shove, which way does it go? So you have this sometimes in your Bible too. Sometimes this is why we check the Greek. Like if the English can be interpreted either way, we want to check the Hebrew or the Greek because maybe the it's not as ambiguous. So that's uh, that's where he came in is to to push this. And uh, when I love the story, Athanasius was allowed to come home by Julian, who was uh, the 
uh, either the nephew or the grandson of Constantine. He's called Julian the Apostate because he said, let's just go back and worship the Roman gods. <laughs> and so he said, I'm going to let back all the Christians that have been exiled. So all the church troublemakers get to come back. And that included Athanasius. And so he comes back and in 362, he calls an unsanctioned church council in Alexandria. He lays out his way of looking at it, the Athanasian Creed, as we call it today. It was affirmed by the church and it brought unity to the congregations. And so Julian tried to exile him again after that. He's like, oh, no, no, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? Um, and so uh, Arianism kind of not only went out of fashion, but it just kind of was no longer accepted. And the the churches established that this is how it is. And in 380, uh, the, it was officially declared that this is how this is looked. So remember, we had that unofficial, like, uh, renegade council that Athanasius called. But once things had settled down with the emperors and everything, they formalized it in the church. So, so once it was formalized, that means we never heard about Arianism again, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, just to, just to finish off the story real quick, in, in 381, you had the Council of Constantinople where they added more language to secure the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Uh, so sometimes you'll see a Nicene Creed that only has a little bit of, about the Holy Spirit. This was expanded upon later. Didn't really, cha- again, didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Just clarifying what was already said. So uh, that's Arianism, which is Jesus is not God. He is like God. He was created and that the Holy Spirit is, is neither here nor there. And Zach, you kind of made a, a snide comment to here because, uh, you know, we have one of these down the road that Jehovah's Witnesses are our modern day Arians. Yeah, that spoke, is exactly I what I they believe. To some of them actually the other day, they came up to my door and I, I hope they're listening. Actually, I asked, I, we spoke and I said, you know, we've, we've done a whole series of podcasts on our Trinitarian belief and I'd love for you to listen to it. And you know, hopefully, you know, because I, I wanted to have this dialogue with her and let her know that, you know, people disagree with you from, from scripture. And I was trying to be really kind, but I was, I was really clear. And I was, you know, sometimes you have one of those conversations and you look back, you're like, oh, I wish I had said this, or I wish, and this was one of those rare chances where I was like, praise the Lord. I, I actually said the thing I wanted to say because the two of them came up and you know how they, they always they two come to together. And these two ladies came to the door and she said, you know, we'd, we'd like to talk to you about the Lord. And I said, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. I've, you know, I was home that day. I think I was on my day off and, and I, I was pretty sure they were Jehovah's Witness, but they kind of immediately opened with that, which is new. They usually don't do that. And I said, well, you know, do you, do you have some literature that, you know, that you could, I could read or talk to you about? And she said, no, she said, we don't like to do that anymore. We like to just really talk to people about scripture. And which I think is kind of a new gambit where they want to just point to a couple verses that, that seem to point to their, their Arianism and say, see, what does this say? And I said, well, that's, I said, that's great. I said, I, I also, I love to study scripture. I said, but I have to let you know that we disagree fundamentally and strongly on the issue of the Trinity. And we, just, yeah. I didn't have much time to talk to her. But and it I, is the issue. Yeah. As, well, as we've talked about, like you can't, you mess with this, you mess with the gospel. And we kind of, that's kind of what I said is that, you know, we just, we, that's an irreconcilable difference between us that I would love to talk to you about if you have more time and stuff. And so we got to chat very briefly, but yes, the, the short answer is, yeah, Je- Jehovah's Witness is a, and they will, they will present themselves similar to Mormonism as, you know, we're, we're Christians and we believe like you, but the immediate thing when you start to have that dialogue is they begin to try and explain to you why Jesus isn't, you know, isn't God. It's, it's kind of the first thing that they want to hammer on. Yes. And they, they often will go to John 1, 1, where in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, which is pretty slam dunk against your yeah, ideas, man. a confused as to how that's helping uh, you. Well, here's what they'll say, just so that you don't get confused. They, mm-hmm. they have their own translation of the Bible, the New World Translation. And they 
They translate it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, meaning he was, you know, homoousios, he was like God. And so what they'll say in the Greek, there's no article, which is the word the. You don't have the word the there. And that sounds rather persuasive, but uh, if you actually look at the Greek, and if there's a great book by Daniel Wallace called uh, Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, and it's kind of the book on Greek syntax, and he's got a whole excursus on this, where because it is what's called a predicate nominative, it is it is anarthrous, meaning it doesn't have the article, you do not have to translate it as uh, as indefinite. You know, the Greek doesn't work quite like English does. There are there are grammar rules, which I'm not going to get into, but I just told you what it was, where it's, there are, in that same passage, there's 12 other anarthrous predicate nominatives using the word God, and they don't translate it a God every time. Right, right, right. Just that time. So the reason they translate it that way is because this guy's ideas as a Jehovah's Witness all are based on the fact that it's Arianism. And so you've got to start tweaking the scriptures. Of course, yeah. And, you know, if somebody were to come to me and say, well, John 1.1, I don't, I don't believe John 1.1. I could take you to a dozen other places mm-hmm. to teach you this. But that what they have to do is they have to say, no, this is the only way. We've got to start messing with the scripture to, to get this right. So um, Jehovah's Witnesses, man, they, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God as we believe. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe you ha- they also have all sorts of other strange things too. Like you have to call God Jehovah even though, you know, if you, if you remember. Jehovah is an anglicized term. Yes, there is no J sound yeah. in Hebrew. It's not Jehovah. Right, we it's, made it up. It's, it's at, at best Yahweh mm-hmm. or Yehovah. It was it was vocalized that way, meaning given the vowels that way to line up with the Greek word or uh, the Hebrew word Adonai. Um, but even if that was the same, there's no J sound, so you're saying it wrong. I don't think that it really matters how you pronounce God's name, right. first of all, because Paul wrote his letters in Greek, and he's calling the Lord Kurios instead of Adonai. He's mm. like, is that a sin? Like, no, of course not. He's calling Yeshua Hamashiach. He's calling him Jesus Christus. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's not what's important about it. So they are still out there, but why don't we believe this? Well, because of all the things that we've gone through before. We're not going to talk in great detail defending against these things today because we have already done this in five mm-hmm. podcasts already. But all the places where Jesus said, I and the Father are one, when uh, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God, like take him to that to that mm-hmm. verse and see how they how they wriggle out of that one, you know, where and you'll also you know, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Right. And it's this divine terminology that people want to downplay because they have a theological axe to grind. And you'll also typically see this in very, very liberal, like milk and water mainline uh, th- folks where their theology is pretty weak already. And typically that w- if you ask them, well, who do you believe Jesus was? They'll say, oh, well, Jesus was an example pointing us to God or Jesus was a great man. Or, you know, basically they're Aryan. They don't believe that Jesus was God. So that, yeah. that, that's also can float in a lot of that and, as well. And they wouldn't call themselves Aryans in all likelihood, but it's that's what they are. But it's and this is something the yeah. church dealt with 1700 years ago. Yeah. And often if you bring that up, well, that was Catholic stuff. And no, it wasn't. No, it was not. It was before there even was a split. This was 700 years before you even had the split between Orthodox Mm -hmm. and Catholic. Mm -hmm. This is is ancient and you don't mess with this stuff, right? So uh, we we don't want to mess around with Jehovah's Witnesses. They're, They're modern day Aryans. And if you are a Jehovah's Witness and you're listening to this, hey man, we'd love to have you. Come on over. 
Yeah, come, sure. come believe in the true God. You, you'll love it. I promise. Um, so let's move on to the next one. Uh, we already talked about before. There are two errors to the Trinity. There's confounding the persons, which is confusing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being the same person, or dividing the substance. So chopping them up. That's what Arians will do. Is they say the Father is not even the same as the Son. They're like one another, and that's the best of it. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through these, and we're gonna start by looking at. An error that confounds the persons now as we get into some of these uh, traditional ones. This is called, the first one, modalism. Zach, do you know what modalism is? Yeah, it's like the, there, there are different modes, basically, of God. God, it, it almost it's almost like a Buddhist or Hindu kind of thing. There's like avatars. God at one point is this, and then he kind of sometimes switches Sometimes he's hats. the father, yeah. and sometimes he's the son. And so and... there's only ever one, one. There's no room for three persons because it's just he's altering his appearance or his way of being or something to appear differently to us at different times. Yeah, sometimes this is also called Sabellianism. Uh, if you ever see that, that's modalism. It, the first guy to really push this was an ancient guy named Sabellius, and he was he was uh, rightly called a heretic. But this believes that there's only one God, and he, de- he will manifest himself in three different modes. Sometimes he's the father, sometimes he's the son, sometimes he's the spirit. They're just different roles. They'll, they'll, they'll use terms like, you know, God puts his father hat on when he needs to talk to you. Or when he wants to die for your sins, he puts on the son hat. And when he needs, you need power, he gives you the Holy Spirit hat. And it's, it's all one God. And, and these people often think they're Trinitarian. Like that, you know, they'll focus, I'm not a modalist. Like, well, what are you? Because you just described it. You know, you just walked, talked, and quacked like one. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's what this is. And I think the most brazen example of modern-day modalism is oneness Pentecostalism. This is sometimes called Jesus-only theology. This came about in 1914, uh, came out in the, the Pentecostal movement that first started get, getting going. Um, although most and almost all Pentecostal denominations have distance themselves and and rejected oneness theology as they should right they mm-hmm. they've they don't allow this to come even if it has had a place in their ranks in the past they have uh censored that as no we don't believe this anymore which is is good uh this is a group that denies that jesus christ and the holy spirit are distinct from each other or from the father that they say it's only jesus it's just Jesus. And that sounds really good. What they mean by that is there is no Father. <laughs> right. Jesus is also the Father. Mm-hmm. There is no Holy Spirit. There is also the Spirit. I'm not quite sure how you get around where Jesus said, I will go to my Father and then send you the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is baptized and then the Father speaks and the Holy Spirit descends. What is happening there? Is he just talking to himself? And there's the, yeah. It, and and I'm not, we're not trying to mock, guys, but you see all this stuff is serious. And by the way, we have wonderful, wonderful brothers and sisters in our fellowship who, you know, are quite aware of and have spent extensive time speaking to and going to these churches. And they will be the first to tell us that there's bad consequences, bad fruit of this theology and this doctrine. It's not just, it's not just a, a, a flavor guys or a preference. It, you, you can't alter the fundamental understanding of who God is without it spawning this awful, awful fruit in your life, in your teaching, in your church. It's, it's not a, <laughs> there's, no, there's consequences, you know, when, when, you, when you alter what our understanding is of this stuff. Here's what I'll say. Um, first of all, there's all the theology that we've gone through before, which I believe is unassailable because it's been there for 1,700 years, and I have not innovated a thing on this podcast. Right. We're just re- reporting the news, man. This is what the church <laughs> has always believed. But... Um, those that teach this doctrine, those that teach this, this oneness Pentecostalism, invariably are, are are very 
cultish in their practice. Mm. They're manipulative. They're bullying. They're very, very legalistic mm-hmm. because then now, because why? Now the gospel is different. You don't have the father sending his son to die for you. Right. What you have is a, is a completely, probably not very well thought through theology of the atonement, which amounts to, and that's why you've got to do these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, many, unfortunately, holiness churches have veered into this this path. But um, you see them out there. And I think, as Zach just said, there's nothing about that doctrine specifically that should force you to be that way. But it's bad fruit. I think when you when you plant bad seeds, you bear bad fruit. And we have beloved friends that have mm-hmm. come out of these things. And they'll tell us, like, it was... We we're getting beat up all the time, and we were told that if you don't come back here, you you can never be saved. And and it's uh you know that's what what cults tend to do is it's not just you have to be part of a church, you have to be part of the this church right here, and um that that's a problem. And so mm-hmm. I think uh you know it's good that they've kind of they're, they're sort of persona non grata among Pentecostals among other churches, yeah, and I, I believe be. that such denominations ought to stay that way. Uh, I'm happy to explain this and walk through because I think there are a lot of reasonable people that want to believe the truth and want to believe the Bible. And I think that God will guide you if you let God guide you to mm-hmm. that place. But there are, I mean, some prominent people that you see who come out of this. So uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, for example, is a is a modalist. And he'll stand up and swear up and down that I'm not a modalist because he knows that's a bad word. But he also doesn't believe in the Trinity. And so then he goes, well, what do you believe? And then he'll go on to describe a variation of modalism. Phillips, Craig, and Dean, the band, they come out of a, a Jesus-only church. So there, there are those that, you know, it's not that the church has accepted them as much as the record labels have, but, you know, where they're prominent, they got a big church, they got a big ministry. It's like, well, that's not how we evaluate things. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm happy to be shown that that's wrong or happy to hear that someone's repented out of that. But, I mean... This is the real deal, man. This is this is fundamental doctrine. And I'll say somebody who's willing to mess with the Trinity is going to be willing to mess with a lot of other things too. Would you agree with that, Zach? That's what always happens, like you said. And, and you know, it just, like I said, I just, you know, it just bears terrible fruit. You'll know one of these people because you'll say something accidentally about baptism online and they'll just want to rumble with you about like, you, you'll see the one they'll they'll just come after you but well you, you should only get baptized in jesus name that's it and oh that's like, a that's like, a big thing and you're like what are you talking churches? you're like what are you talking about you, you it'll it'll catch you off as weird and you're like what do you what do you mean well that's you're only why, why did you baptize in the name of three people you only should baptize in, the, in jesus name and they just have this and again I, i'm trying to be kind but there is this locked in cultic repetitious thinking of just this is the way it is and i was told these four things and that's what i got to keep right. saying right it's, it's over not explained no 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 it is because uh, they can't. it's this is what you say when you hear this right and they, they, they don't have explanations they've not and I, I say this lovingly very often they have not done the reading yeah so, <laughs> we, so we should address this actually yeah. now that you brought it up because i we get questions about this so acts 238 when peter preaches the gospel to everybody on the day of pentecost They said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, there it is. Peter baptized people in the name of Jesus. Well, okay, I don't have a problem with baptizing people in the name of Jesus. But what you have to look at is in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, people will say, well, then why do you have two different things? I, I think one of them is able to accommodate the other. 
If you're baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are being baptized in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the Son. Mm -hmm. You look at what did Jesus tell us to do? And the fact that it's in there that way, you know, the the narrative, I, I think Peter would say something to the effect of, well, I would assume the rest of that is assumed. Baptized in the name of Jesus, yeah, like he said, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're not in contradiction with one another. Oh, and that's, and that if you say they are, you've got to come at me. Okay, then why do you believe Peter rather than one. Jesus? Right. And that's, if it's and all that's, about Jesus. That's hallmark number one of, of poor cult type exegesis, right? Is that you? it's cherry picking of verses. It's, it's hammering your finger into your Bible and saying, but what does it say here, right? About some word in English that you've not properly understood or taken in context. And that there's many other ways to interpret it correctly as you look at the full counsel of God, but you're just, you've got your gotcha verse that you're smashing over and over. And, and unfortunately guys, what you'll find as you dig into these churches is that they're, they are hostile to people reading the Bible for themselves and coming to their own conclusions. Right. And, and in fact, if you read, you keep reading after that verse that I just read. There's actually a Trinitarian formula in that verse. Yeah, yeah, Let me read this to yeah, you. Yeah. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, one, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, two, two for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God, three, calls to himself. <laughs> yep. Uh, so even yep. right there, uh, you, mm-hmm. he's speaking in Trinitarian language. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've gone over this. It's everywhere mm-hmm. in the Bible. And so if, does that mean anything? What is Matthew 28? Does that mean anything? I think if you read, all right, Jesus said this, and then Peter comes along and says, baptize in the name of Jesus. I would assume they're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I, it's kind of a manufactured conflict, I would think. And and it, you know, this is why we need to, to know our, our theology, know our doctrine. So Related to that, so modalism is specific in that it still finds a place for Jesus as divine. They still believe that Jesus is God. They just have a biblical uh, misunderstanding of what that means. Mm -hmm. There is another strain that confounds the persons also called Unitarianism. And Unitarians step in and say, there is God. Jesus is not God. And the Holy Spirit always gets, gets left out. Yeah, they don't even... Address, and it seems like. this this uh, started to take root, uh, actually, unfortunately, in in America, especially up in mm-hmm. Boston, um, around the 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 middle eighteen hundreds. This really started to take root uh, when higher criticism was coming through, when uh, the industrial revolution was coming along. Uh, I read a great book, not a theology book, actually, about Oliver Wendell Holmes, actually, that had a great chapter about Hmm. what Boston was like around the time of the Civil War just leading up to it. And he said there was a transformation happening where this place that had been congregational and Puritan was being overtaken by this Unitarianism because it was very logical. It was very, you know, I mean, it's Boston, very Harvard, very thoughtful and educated and smart and blue blood. And, you know, we believe in God. We don't believe in that silly Trinitarian nonsense. We we believe in, in the moral God that will help us do the best good and that's and then they use the Bible as, as their jumping off and point philosophical and modern and classy <laughs> um, which is all not what great a temptation ways to evaluate. that is yeah, oh yeah but also not great ways to evaluate theology yeah and, and that's how it still is very frequently when you oh yeah if you spend any time around Unitarians it's it's I'm not trying to stereotype or stigmatize I'm just saying genuinely it, it is 100% the most you know, woke, progressive, lefty mm-hmm. type theologians. They always go, has been. That's, that's what it always From its has inception. Been. Yeah. And so they, they, it's what that does for them is it allows them, if you're going, again, just always bad, bears bad fruit. If you're going to alter the doctrine of the Trinity, 
you're already saying I'm setting myself up as an authority over scripture. And therefore, why would I respect scripture as, as inspired of God? And if it's not, then why wouldn't I become a biblical higher critic and do all these other things that get me a lot of points culturally? Right. Unitarians are are, where it goes. It's humanism really. And that's not an insult as we often, you know, a lot of times we say things that sound inflammatory and I'm, I'm just being technical here. It's humanism. It's a belief that yes, there probably is a God or it's, it's, he's often talked about as, you know, the, the great moral law or the watchmaker, or we believe there has to be a God and law comes from somewhere, but really religion is about doing good for people, about good deeds, about, you know, feeding the poor, building hospitals and okay, those are all good things. My favorite phrase I was introduced to is moralistic therapeutic deism, which I think is is a pretty fantastic way of But that's, that's John Piper, I believe that, that came up with that. Oh, is it? Okay. yeah. Yeah. But um, a Unitarian is not even going to pretend not to be that. They they right. they're really not Christians, and I, I that's not an insult either. Like a Unitarian Christian is really not a Christian. They believe our job is to do the most good. We don't really believe the Bible except as a moral guide <laughs> right. of stories. We we don't believe in the Trinity. We don't believe in any kind of doctrine. It's kind of unimportant. What really is about doing good things in the world. And this is why in the previous century, when there was all these ecumenical movements, many people raised a big stink about this because like you're. You're trying to bring in Unitarians to, you know, walk in lockstep with with Christians, you know, real Christians. And and then you throw Catholics into the mix and then people wanted to bring in Jews also and the rest of this stuff. And uh, that that's why it kind of fizzled. And I'm kind of glad it fizzled. But, um, yeah, it certainly is. This is the the wokest of the woke is Unitarianism. There was a, a Unitarian church in Lynchburg and uh, the pastor had come to our, uh, our pastor's meeting once and just, I mean, made a fool of himself really just about the things he was saying and kind of one of those he was one of those people who is obviously used to being like fawned over for his wisdom because he was he would end every sentence like like that like we're all supposed to go oh man wow but as much a pastors in the room and my dad gave him the business it was it was really wonderful but he's after that on Easter Sunday my dad just on a whim went and pulled up their teaching from that Easter Sunday. And I said, how was it? He goes, that guy went out of his way to talk about everything except the resurrection. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what Unitarians do. So there's really little sense in arguing with a Unitarian about the Trinity because they're coming from a completely different authority structure. So they're often the ones that are pushing the most, like churches don't preach the Bible, preach about climate change. You know, do you have trans pastors? Do you have, you know, a lot of the folks that you see that have the stoles with like the rainbow flags on it or the pride thing, or, you know, they're going to talk about God as a trans is that they're, they're Unitarians. And it's like, well, you're not even a legitimate denomination in my opinion. And I think in most people's opinions. So I mean, anything to add to that, Zach, I mean, not it's really. Out there. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's, it's, you know, I, I totally agree that you, you have to be careful sometimes when you argue with people because you have to understand, are we even coming, are we, do we even agree on the same priors? Like you said, a, a Unitarian person needs to have a saving encounter with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then, and then we can talk about, you, you know, so it's almost like at that point, is it better to argue about the Trinity or is it better to say like, can, can you and me go like, would you like to meet Jesus? Like, can we talk about Jesus? Because that really, when they're talking about Jesus and you're talking about Jesus is two different things. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. referring to Jesus as just a great teacher and, and then they don't really talk about him very much. And mostly, if you see these people online or hear them, they don't talk a lot about Christianity at all. No. Uh, and they, they mostly are just talking about their pet causes. They kind of don't and, want to. It's no. A, it, it, it's, it almost it's, makes you wonder why they bother in a lot of ways. Well, I, mean, I have some conspiratorial theories, but... Um. <laughs> well, some of them are not so conspiratorial. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some people, you know, 
if you if you wonder like why do the people bother making these awful Hollywood movies? It's like because they're there to push an agenda. They went to school, they got their activist degree, and then they went to Hollywood. Well, it's the same thing in Washington. It's the same thing when people join churches. Sure. You know, you you look at some of the pastors of not forget Unitarians now, but especially some of the higher churches, Episcopalian, Lutheran, et cetera, Methodist now, mm-hmm. where you look at where they were educated and it's like, so-and-so has a degree in gender theory and a master's in like religious blogging from Brown university. <laughs> and now she's yeah. the, the gender queer pastor of this Episcopalian church. Like she's not a, she's not there to preach the gospel. That's why evangelical is such an important term. We actually believe this stuff. Right. And this is why we're often marginalized as well, because there's not a lot of respectability, nor has there ever been with that. Yep. So That's all right. But I'll I, trade it. Anyway, so another <laughs> group of Unitarians uh, with a lowercase u, actually, before we move on to, to that, there are a lot of so-called non-denominational churches that would fall in this category as well, that... Oh, really? They're, yeah, huh. they're with a lowercase u. They're not part of the Unitarian world mm-hmm. universalist church. Um, but they are, they, they would probably be Unitarians the more you talk to them. You hear about some like really wacky, weird church, like, you, you know, that is preaching some strange doctrine. I, I'll bet you they don't have a robust view of the Trinity. <laughs> you right. know, a lot of times you get guys that were wokesters or hipsters or whatever that went to seminary were and were, and, else. right. And were like an assistant <laughs> yeah. pastor to Baptist church or something. And then they started preaching all their weird stuff and they were kicked out. So they took all their weird friends and started a non-denominational church, but it, it's Unitarian hmm. like with it in their theology. So actually, and if you ever ask somebody what they believe about this and they don't want to answer your question, <laughs> they don't believe in the Trinity. <laughs> they just don't. All right. So that's one of those easy yeses. Mm-hmm. Are we, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yes. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Yes. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. Do you believe in the Trinity? Yes. There should be no hesitation. Right, right. Right? So anyway, the, but another prominent group of Unitarians in their theology would be Islam. You already mentioned this a little I bit, Zach. I don't think they would call so. themselves Unitarian, but yes, they, they, well, they are. They are Unitarian. They, they believe I mean, in a single... They're not Christian yeah. Unitarians like with a capital U, but no. in their, we are Trinitarian. They are Unitarian mm-hmm. or Monotarian or mm-hmm. however you want to say that. I mean, go ahead and talk about... Islam a little bit, Zach, why they fall in this category. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is it's is a primary place where Islam diverges, and this is why, and I, you know, I, I have never been more adamant about this than now when it seems like there's this huge push because we all are worried about liberals. We've been banging on liberals for a while, so let's go let's talk about our own our own friends, right? Because we're so worried about liberalism, there's now this push that oh, all the monotheistic religions need to, we really need to stand together no. and... Yeah, and I, I don't no. agree, and here's why. There is no, I don't I don't like the classification of the monotheistic religions. I don't agree with that. Why? Because the three of us do not worship the same God. Ju- religious Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, worships only the Father. They are not Trinitarian. They only worship the Father, and their understanding of him is flawed. Mm-hmm. And they do not accept Jesus as the Messiah, and they do not have a, a understanding of the Holy Spirit from a New Testament perspective. We do not worship in the same way, certainly. Now, of course, we I think there's a little bit less distance between a Jew and a, and a, and me and a Muslim and me, because at least the Jew, I can talk to them about Jesus as the Messiah. They may reject him violently, but we're coming, we're talking about the Old Testament in much the same way. However, with a Muslim, there is there is literally no common ground between me and a Muslim. And and I, I, I resist even discussing it as well, we're part of the Abrahamic faiths. Abraham would not recognize what the, what the, who the Muslims are worshiping. And, and, and to say it's, that... Unless you... There's a lot of indications in the scripture that some of the traditions that Islam holds to go back all the way to the time of 
of Abraham. When you look at like the the crescent ornaments that they had, sure, and yeah, the moon god Abraham that they worshipped in Haran and, and Ur. A moon so god, though, I'm so, just yeah. saying he might recognize it, but it might appall yeah, he him to like think it. that his children yeah. are, are and, back and at I, it. I say that so strongly because you, you know you guys need to understand that we're we're not just on the team of whoever is based in trad like you know just just because you you are conservative and you say oh i i worship one of the great monotheistic faiths like i, I worship jesus christ god the father and his holy spirit I, i'm not here you know if, if you are on my team or what did what did uh the angel of the lord say to joshua you know <laughs> are you on our team or our enemies he goes no neither right yeah. so <laughs> so and i bring this up because islam they're, they're not kindred spirits with us no in, inscribed on the dome of the rock the al-aqsa mosque uh, which is currently sitting where the temple used to be is an inscription in Arabic that says, far be it from Allah that he should have a son. It, it, it is literally, yeah, exactly. It is literally a brazen, blasphemous, anti-Christ statement on that prominent, you know, edifice of theirs saying, our, we, are, we are putting on this building our, our statement to heaven that God has no son. Yeah, and so and a Muslim will, uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. No. They they believe that Christians are polytheists. They'll refer to Christians right. as polytheists as, as, a, three as an insulting term, mm-hmm. right? Which is not the case. But there are some Muslims who are nice people sure. who sincerely believe that Christians worship three gods. Yeah. And I know a friend of mine who, even when his oneness Pentecostal church, he was told they worship three gods in those Trinitarian churches. They believe in three gods. And he's like, and then I rolled up and you don't believe that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he had just, he was a very nice, sincere person, but had been told his whole life, we worship three gods. So if you're a Muslim listening to this, guys, we don't worship three gods. We worship right. one. We are Trinitarian. And I've just given you, what's five times 1.5? Seven and a half hours <laughs> yeah. or eight and a half now. Yeah. Uh, nine by the time we're done. Hours explaining what we do believe. We only believe in one God. But God is three persons. And just to be clear, too, Muslims will Muslims love Isa, they call him. They, they, yep. they see Jesus as a prophet, but they will not acknowledge in any way that he is. They'll say, oh, he's a great prophet from God. Well, hang on a second. There have been many great prophets from God, but do you, do you accept that he is the son of God? Is he God, very God? And they will read what they call the Injil or the New Testament, but they argue with us. They say, no, but it's full of errors. It's full of and, errors. It's corrupted. Yeah, so so the only full statement of who God is, you can get only from the prophet Muhammad in, in the Quran. Yeah, so, so they'll, they'll even say in some cases that Jesus was a sinless prophet, and they believe that Jesus ascended to heaven in many cases, but they do not believe he died on the cross. They right. do not believe he was the son of right. God, and they do not believe that you should put your faith in him for salvation. No, not at all. They, there's a, I'm not going to dive into all this before. We will at some point. We'll talk about Islam, but... Um, so for them, you are in violation of the primary command of God that there is only one God. And right, that right. was Muhammad's push is we're going to get these Christians out of here that have, you know, stolen our land and stolen our culture. And uh, that's still the case today that we believe in only yeah. one God. And Their statement of faith is Unitarian. There is there is one God and, and Muhammad is his prophet. Yep. So, so they, it's, it's right they, in there. They call God Allah and mm-hmm. they'll say, well, you know, that's it's related to the word El and like Elohim, if you look at. You know, those languages that all kind of derive from uh, a similar Semitic root, but it's God's God gave us his name and his name is Yahweh, it's Jehovah. Mm-hmm. If you want to you know, go there, I don't mind using the word Jehovah, by the way, like right. there's nothing wrong it's with fine. it. Um, it's kind of you feel like an old fashioned preacher sometimes when you're like, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you call Jehovah God. So um, but. They, they believe that if you believe in Jesus for your salvation, you're, you're going to hell. And in fact, Islamic salvation is a very touchy thing. Like it's, they I don't, don't even assurance. think they're quite clear. No, like they don't, they you don't believe Allah 
you try your best to do the Quran, you, you know, give your tithe, you go on your pilgrimage, there's the five pillars. And even then it's like, and then hopefully, you know, Allah will weigh out your good deeds against your bad deeds. And, mm-hmm. um, that's you know, literally, yeah, yeah. It's, it's medieval religion in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. very similar to the uh, medieval Catholic church in the way that it's run, but they are Unitarian, very much Unitarian. And, um, I heard a great apologist online who made a very simple point I'm like, that's brilliant. You ever hear something like that? And you mm-hmm. go, why didn't I think of that? Um, he said, what do you say to a Muslim who believes that uh, the New Testament and Old Testament have been corrupted? Because, of course, that this is what every cult group does. Yeah. They say, the old one is full of errors. Where are they? Anywhere it disagrees with me. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, by the way, uh, not what Christians believe about the Old Testament. No. We fully embrace every jot and tittle mm-hmm. of the word of the Old Testament. We don't, we believe that it has been fulfilled in Christ. No. So between a Jew and a Christian, it is a matter of interpretation. It's not a matter of inspiration. Correct. Or inerrancy. So uh, there, there's other matters to get into there. But uh, but anyway, what this guy said is, what do, you, what do you say to a Muslim who believes that New Testament and Old Testament have been corrupted and we can't trust them? He says, I ask them this question. Do you believe that... The Old Testament, the New Testament, Injil is what they call the New Testament. Do you believe that it is the word of Allah, word of God? And they say, yes. Is Well, the word of Allah cannot be corrupted. It can't be corrupted or it's not the word of God. No. And it's kind of a little, you know, chess move there. <laughs> yeah. And that, that might not convince anybody, but it might at least help them think a little bit. And right. it's good for us to learn. Like, okay, if God's word can be corrupted, then how do I trust that your word hasn't been corrupted? Well, this is the final yeah. and official one. Well, that's what Revelation says, too. Right. Don't add to this. Don't take <laughs> yep. away from this. It also tells us that angels were going to come and there were going to be false messiahs. And yeah. we shouldn't we should watch out for that. Mm-hmm. And I find Islam to be dreadfully fascinating. And I, I believe they have a part to play in the end times, however you want to slice it, uh, that there's there's going to be something there. But it's incredibly um, tragic to see so many people intentionally, you know, in, in many cases, you know, faithfully and um with, with zealously yeah zealously what's the word i'm looking for they are honest and they want to seek god and being so deceived about who he is what he has said yep. what he wants of them and to be willing in many cases to to go to lengths that i have not to even kill been, themselves yeah to kill themselves to kill others to commit terrifying acts to send their, their kids out yep, to yep. go blow themselves up and, and and to see that they're willing to do that what can you say to that other than that it is demonic that's exactly what the enemy wants is to steal and kill and destroy people. And, it it is know. the definition of anti-Christ yeah, yeah, against Jesus Christ. So Bible said many antichrists will come. Muhammad was one of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you also mentioned this, and I, we, we need to get on to the, the other half of this, this story <laughs> Must here. Go but, faster. Must uh, go faster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Judaism is also Unitarian. Yes. Yeah. As it stands today. Yeah. Now we believe, as we said, that the Old Testament is legitimate. There is a difference between a Jew and a Muslim, and Christians have a lot of sympathy for the Jews and and Muslims too. By the way, we do love of Islam. Like yeah. we we love not Islam. We love those that practice Islam. Yes. We believe they're dreadfully and, and tragically deceived. But so are the Jews. Mm-hmm. And the reason we got to emphasize this is because many Christians, in their proper love for Israel, their right. gratitude to the Jews, their desire for Israel to be secure in their land, all those prophecy things that they, they can be less critical than they should be about the things they believe. Yes. Which, well, yeah, but I mean, their traditions are a little weird and, you know, it's not all scripture. We know that. It's like, guys, they reject Jesus as the Messiah. 
It is the ultimate blasphemy. They're deceived, their hearts are hardened, and they're under judgment as a result. That's yeah. what Paul says. I mean, Paul in Romans 11, yeah. he says that they are enemies of the cross. Absolutely. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. No. Your favorite Jewish political commentator or author or actor or neighbor, if you, you might be able to get along real good, but the minute you start saying Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died on the cross for your sins... They're going to get angry at you. Yeah, They're they, going to draw they, the line in the sand. And, and this is, which is, that's the point, guys. That's the marker. And, and so we can is, be fellow travelers in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. But you can never forget that. And certainly not to elevate Jews as some sort of like prophetic group when the Bible says their hearts have been hardened. No. And, and I, like, you know, we've talked about this some guys when we talked about the covenant too. So I don't want to over, I don't want to tread that ground. We again. did hit this a lot as I, I realize now. Yeah, but, how, but it's important and it's timely for right now, by the way, because right now, because of all the things that are happening in the Middle East, there becomes now this wave of, well, you can't say anything against the Jews because that's anti-Semitism. Friends, let me just, let me just encourage you as a person who has some Jewish ancestry, who has spent large amounts of time and has many friends in that area of the world and, and feels deeply for them, it is not anti-Semitic to state what Paul says about the Jews, who as a Jew said, they are they are deceived, their hearts are darkened, and they are enemies for the sake of the gospel. Now, if you go to Israel, I, will, I assure you that you will be deeply disillusioned when you discover that the better a Jew is, the more he radically will be willing to fight with you and will despise you over your doctrine of, of Christology. The, the, the ultra-Orthodox Jews call Jesus Yashki the Bastard. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's, I know that's a little bit intense for you to hear, but that's, that's literally what they, 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 they revile. They use you know, Jesus' name as a curse word. It's the only time that it's spoken. So you have to understand that these are people that aren't, they aren't, they don't love you and what you believe. They see you as, as foolish and deceived. And all of rabbinical Judaism since the time of Jesus has been built as a, a aggressive attack against Jesus being the Messiah. And even before yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's, it's remarkable to me how many people, even Christians, We'll be like, well, we should go back and study the intertestamental traditions to interpret the New the Testament. It's like Jesus, came to Jesus stepped in no, and no. ripped all of that to shreds. Yeah. When Messiah came, he said, "All this has got to go." Yeah, and and, and, and what was the that you especially even these who um you know I remember reading a great book of about the Jewish feasts and festivals and how they relate to Jesus. It was a Christian book, mm -hmm. but this guy had this weird like sentence in the in the end where he's like. You know, Christians need to be more supportive of Jewish churches. And I thought to myself, Jewish churches? We're not supposed to have Jewish churches mm. or Gentile churches or white churches or black churches. No, no, no. You got a church <laughs> set up that is exclusively for Jews? Shame on you. Yeah. Well, you can't say that. You're a Gentile. Uh, yes, I can. I'll say I'm it. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Here, I'll and I have say to, I'm going to stand on the yeah. word of God. No. So that Judaism as a whole is, is Unitarian, and we've yeah. got to be careful of that. Um, without diving too far into these either, there are also uh, Americanized, politicized strains of these things. Uh, you have the Nation of Islam in America, which is different from normal Islam, Muhammadanism. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a, a black culture thing. It is a black power. We're, we're going to be Muslims because we hate white people and we hate Christianity. We're going to go back to our old religion, which was Islam. So like um, never mind Islam, that. As I understand too, it's not even. No, no, no. Very, it's, like, it's it's very political. It's not good Muslim theology. It's very woke yeah. and and has been since like the seventies, sure. or you know, and uh, it's 
the irony of that is that far more Africans were enslaved and continued to be enslaved by Muslims than oh, were brutalized you know, and by than the Christians Absolutely. ever did. Not yeah. to excuse a thing that was done. No, but, but it's just true. If you if you're upset about that, you should remember that it was the Christians that brought about the release of the slaves, mm-hmm. and it was the Muslims that continue to now perpetuate slavery. Yep. But there's also something called Black Hebrew Israelitism, and that is kind of the same thing done with Judaism. Such people believe that the uh, black diaspora, as it's called, African-American, you know, in England and wherever, in the Caribbean countries, that they are the real lost tribes of Israel. And that the Jews who exist today are white usurpers of this, their, their proper status as God's chosen people. And they have all sorts of pseudoscience and weird... Uh, like fake history and genetics that they use. And do you want to talk um, about real anti-Semitism? Deep, oh, for sure. Deep anti-Semitism. Yeah, both of those things. Yeah. Um, oh, so th- those are also Unitarian groups that you should stay away from. And especially if you're uh, a young black man listening to this podcast, I realize some of those things can be compelling for you. Yeah. Especially if you maybe have grown up in white churches, which again, we shouldn't have those. And I, <laughs> I hope that we're not planning our churches that way. But um, when you come across somebody that really wants to talk you up mm. and be like, do you want to know who you really are? And don't you want to be proud of your culture and proud of your race? And aren't you tired of being beaten down? And and it, it sounds very compelling. Stay away from that. Stand on the truth of the gospel, of the word of God. If you see something in your church or congregation or culture that needs to be fixed, let's fix it. Let's not abandon Jesus. Right. So in yeah, any case, literally. we could talk about that more uh-huh. another time. So those are all about... Uh, confounding the person, kind of tilting too far towards the oneness side of the three-in-one of the Holy Trinity. So we could talk about more of the defenses against these things, but uh, a lot of this is attempts to dispense with the mystery of the Godhead. It's, I want oh, to get, a, I wanna get it, yeah. a, a God who I can mentally apprehend, not one that challenges me. But I mean, just a couple rhetorical questions here. I mean, to whom exactly was Jesus praying when he prayed? You know, when on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the yeah. Lord said, this is my son, servant, who exactly was speaking? When Jesus said, I will send you another helper, was he meaning I'm going to send myself? Because his whole point was, you're not going to see me anymore. So the modalists are often very soft on scripture and very heavy on their own ideas. Hmm. Um, but we don't get to do that, right? You have to stand on what the Bible says, all right? So what, one more thing, we'll maybe hit this more next time, Zach, but... Um, you can end up as a practical Unitarian in the church if you're not careful. Oh boy, yes you can. I'd say there are several ways you can live as if the Trinity is not real. And the Trinity takes a minute to to get, but once you do, man, it's like the, the richness of your Christian life just is oh, yeah. amazing. Mm. But I think the quickest way to get there is to neglect the Holy Spirit. Sure can. And when you start treating the Holy Spirit, you, you might believe that he is personal and divine mm-hmm. and all the rest. But if you start treating him like he's just the force from Star Wars, yep. you start kind of, well, whatever, you know, you feel God in the room. That's the Holy Spirit. You're right, but it's more than that. Um, Holy Spirit, we said this You're on over. your way, man. Holy you're Spirit on your way. has lines. Holy yeah. Spirit has a will. He can be grieved. He has emotions. Anything that can be said of the Father or the Son in terms of who he is, like his 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 ontology, he, he, he can be said of the Holy Spirit. And you're right, when you neglect those things, what you end up become, and I've seen this happen, unfortunately, what ends up happening is you forcibly neglect or even you push back against, no, the Holy Spirit's not active now. He is not working in that way. He does No not, more miracles, no yeah. more tongues, well, no more. What happens is if you're going to push back and say anything that 
any obvious manifestation of the Holy Spirit must be made up or must be fake. You, you have created a, a, a dual God now, basically, of the Father and Jesus. Right? And then that leads very quickly to a, a subordination problem of with course. Jesus and the Father, and too. And then what you have is really effectually... Who are you really going to talk about usually? Well, the Father, because Jesus, we know what Jesus did, but he's back with the Father now, and they just kind of merge, collapse, and you're pretty much just praying to one angry God who does, who, who, his comforter, where is he? I haven't seen him recently, and, and you know, it, it really does happen, and I'll, I'll say this, by the way, guys, don't, don't think that this is only people who angrily resist the Holy Spirit. In many ways, you can be guilty of this just by neglecting these things. I really have grown in my understanding through being loved and discipled in Calvary Chapel churches from a place where I would say the Holy Spirit was just a part of my doctrine that I didn't really think about at all to now suddenly it's it's something that I can't stop talking about. There was a time in my life where if you would ask me, well, tell me about the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have had a lot to say. And that, yeah. that can make you functionally, like you're saying, not much different from a Unitarian. No, what you do is if you neglect the Holy Spirit and you overemphasize the humanity of Jesus... Mm. Then what you end up with is, uh, you know, like hero worship. You've got God the Father, and then you've got His Son Jesus, who is better than all of us. But when you really say He's God, I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, technically Jesus is God, right? Mm-hmm. It, no, man, we're we're Trinitarians. We right, we right. bow and pray and worship to the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. And if mm-hmm. you say, well, we we pray to the Father, we don't worship the Holy Spirit. Read the Athanasian Creed, man, yeah. to be worshipped alongside the mm-hmm. Father and the Son. So um, we we don't want to be practical Unitarians either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that the most encouraging, comforting, mind-blowing, put a smile on your face preaching that I'll give is when I'm really leaning into the Trinity and talking about how your life is, is transformed It's almost that like way. good doctrine is wholesome and fruitful in your life and, and produces good things. Bada bing. <laughs> well, let's go on now. Uh, there are fewer of these, so we'll go a little faster, but we talked about the first error, which is confounding the persons, leaning too far into the oneness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what's his name? Robert Lethem calls that the Western error because he believes that the churches in the West, Catholics and Protestants tend towards that more than mm, the other thing. Okay, right. And then he calls the other error, which we're going to talk about now, dividing the substance, treating the, the three persons of the Godhead as if they were three different gods. He calls that the Eastern error because he believes uh, Orthodox churches tend to drift into that too much okay. where you almost have three gods. So, whether you agree with that, I've heard somebody say they, they thought that was rubbish, but I think he makes a pretty good case for it. It's really irrelevant. Um, <laughs> I don't know as much about Eastern Orthodoxy yeah. as I do Protestantism or, or even Catholics, but there is the tendency to chop up the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And we'll call this tritheism, various forms of tritheism. Uh, if this, what we just described a second ago are various forms of Unitarianism, this is various forms of tritheism. And I've even heard, I was a youth pastor, so I heard a lot of kids trying to work out their doctrines and stuff, but they said, well, we're really like tritheists, right? To which I say, no, <laughs> no, 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 a thousand times no. We do not worship three gods, that God the Father is one God and Jesus Christ is another one and the Holy Spirit is the third God and mm-hmm. uh, that's polytheism. Right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yep. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The epistles, you believe that God is one. You do well, mm-hmm. right? We believe in one God. And and this is not really 
established anywhere in any kind of church that I'm aware of, where we're like, we're going to believe in three gods. I was going to say, can you, so um, but, I'm less familiar with this one. Can you give me like a practical example of how you could accidentally get, because like you said, like, so you can get accidentally into being a Unitarian. How can you accidentally wind up doing this? Because I don't know of anybody that formally you know, says this is our doctrine. I know that there are places, especially in the mission field, uh, okay. in Hindu cultures, Hindus have 3 million gods. Right. So you come in talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we'll just add three more to the pile. Right, right, right. And you, you can kind of talk about it that way. Um, Buddhists, Hindus, it's all kind of the same camp there. Um, so there can be an attempt to soften the doctrine of the Trinity in order to make it more acceptable for those people. Okay. But I think also... You can do this practically in your worship and in your preaching and in your prayer when you are pitting the persons of the Godhead against each other too much. So, for example, when you want to, sometimes people will talk about uh, the gospel as if God, the Father and the Son were in competition with each other. Mm. Like there was a dispute about what to do. um, And there's a, I mean, look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Like there's there's a level of discussion and intercession that goes on within sure. the, the Godhead. But you you don't want to push that to the point where you're thinking of three distinct gods. Because what you can end up with is, oh, I really like God the Father, but the Holy Spirit freaks me out. And I like Jesus, yeah. but I don't want to talk to God. To which right. I love to say, if you love Jesus, you're going to love God the Father. Right. Because he, he is, he in a God sense, the, the representative of God the Father. Spirit is gonna He's be God incarnate. Yeah, yeah. If God was a man, what would he be like? He'd be like Jesus. We know the answer to that question. Right. Or even maybe, just as I'm thinking about it now, we obviously we don't believe this, but sometimes uh, like uh, substitutionary atonement is characterized and made fun of and said, so you, you believe in divine child abuse that the father is beating up on and abusing his son for, and it's like, well, no, that's not what we believe, right? No, and if, no, and if it's you, not. And if you teach it poorly and teach something like that, then you you are, in a sense, kind of splitting them apart. That's why we, we fight, fight, fight against anyone who wants to unchain the Old and the New Testament and say, well, you've got the Old Testament God over here, and then Jesus is over here. Absolutely Yeah, that's not, another right? another example. No, no, yeah, because that's, and, and that, unfortunately, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I've we've seen some pretty prominent pastors recently i believe andy stanley has pretty prominently tried to unhitch the old testament from the new testament and said yeah. you know no that you know we really like the new testament no of course we don't right there's no there's no daylight between god the father and but jesus is like the new and improved god well, that, that's well, sometimes people polytheism. will like pray to jesus or your or your prayers won't be answered like you have to pray to the father through the son by the holy spirit if you say dear jesus you're getting it wrong like well, no, because we yeah, believe in perichoresis, that yeah, the yeah. Father mutually indwells the Son, and then yeah. likewise the Holy Spirit. I think when preachers are giving illustrations, uh, ah. you can take this too far. Uh, I think sometimes people don't want to preach the mystery. There's a misunderstanding that people don't want to be taught in the church. Mm. Well, I'll just say what I hear constantly yep. is nobody ever taught me I love this. All I mean, every week time. I hear that, you guys. Every week so and in between, yep. Teach the mystery. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't quite get it. Encourage them. You'll get it. You'll get this. Can you say, can you say the creed? I kind of, God, there's one God, three persons, uh, you know, not dividing the, the substance or confounding the persons. We don't confuse them. You get that. Yeah. Okay. Just, just soak in that for a little while yep. and then you'll move along. So um, I'm a big believer in. I like to try to close my prayers in a Trinitarian fashion. I like writing songs that include the Trinity in them. Yeah, man. Um, I like to find verses that do that. So be precise because we're allowed to be precise. But um, yeah, God is one and God is three. Don't don't try to pick your favorite side and then then go from there. So um, one way that this is done, though, is there are various forms of doctrine called subordinationism. 
And these are when you start to have a bad or shallow understanding of the economy of the Trinity. You okay. believe in the ontology, but you don't quite understand that there is a difference between the being of God and the outworking of God. And so you start to read uh, distinctions in the economy back into the ontology. Right. So you say, Jesus is less than the Father because Jesus submitted to his Father while he was on the earth. Or the Holy Spirit is lesser than the Father and the Son because he was sent by the Father and the Son. Or even in the he proceeds from the Father and the Son that makes him lesser than. And you start to have rank yes. in, in the Godhead. That God's Father is a top dog and Jesus is second. And then so, there are various forms of that, but uh, we don't believe in that. There is submission, meaning willful obedience to the will of another, but there is no subordination within the Trinity. Jesus said to God in one of his prayers, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Jesus shares the Father's glory. Right. Right? Like, so we're not, you know, in Philippians 2, it says he was equal with God. Equality not with God. God the Father's sidekick. Yeah, not, not at all. Not at all. So, you know, right. I, Zach, you've mentioned that you run into this online quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and and this, think... is, this is actually Arius's problem. He's reading the submission of Jesus on earth back into the Godhead. And best I understand it without trying to dive into somebody's weird flame war is I think it, it comes from two different sides that are both really choosing to talk past each other. You've got some people that are rightly, I think, very concerned about messing with the Trinity. And so they see people express what we've talked about in, in the economy of the Trinity and, and try and express it practically and even make application. They say, whoa, 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 you're teaching subordinationism. And then some people over here who I think are so eager to make applicational points, typically trying to score goals against, let's say, like progressive theology or bad sexual theology, you know, like bad theology of, of sex. And so they're trying to say, no, no, look, there's even authority in the Godhead. Look, see how Jesus is is lesser than the, the father. And and they're so eager to score this point against, you know, liberals that they're, they're maybe being a little over eager in the way that they're doing the theology of the Trinity. And to which we say, and we talked about this at length, so we don't need to go, but guys, you don't have to mess with the Trinity to be against poor teaching yeah. on authority. There, right? there are so many, it all comes back to this, you guys. There are so many elegant explanations of for all these problems that are not new problems. Right. No, no, no. That are already there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, whenever I see these guys that are like, well, we, we want to preserve proper gender roles. So we're going to tweak the Trinity. It's like, well, no, you've already got an answer to that question. Right. So, and in a sense, uh, like you just expressed, it's it's very important to not do that because in order to preserve proper gender roles, you have to know that you're made in God's image. And what is God's image? That in in the persons of God, within the Godhead, there is submission without subordination. Yep. Which, like we said, teaches that you can submit to another person without it changing who you are at all. Right. That and, the authority and is not the same thing in Christ with rank or or who you are and that's very important if you're going to yeah, correctly your, teach your ontology is not affected by your economy right what you if you're a wife in submission to your husband that doesn't that doesn't say anything about your soul right that says that's how god has ordered it to be there is order and hierarchy within the trinity there's not rank or or status like that that's mm. not what we're talking about here and we've went into this before but i'll just say it again the irony is that these conservative traditional theologians who are fighting against these feminist theologians, more on them in a second, but they are accepting the flawed premise. Yes. The premise yes. is uh -huh. there is subordination in the Godhead, and that's bad. They come along and say there is subordination in the Godhead, and it's good. 
No, no, no. There's no, there's subordination, no subordination. In the Godhead, yeah. That we don't believe in that. We don't mm. believe in subordinations. We believe that they are equal in their rank and their status and their being, but there is submission. There's mutual submission. The father steps aside and grants all authority to his son, who gives it back to his father when all things are done. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness and led him to the cross. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the earth. That this is the working of the one God. Yep. This is why we're talking about you're drifting into the tritheism here where you're you're dividing the substance now. And by the way, remember, bad theology has bad fruit. Sometimes, just as my encountering with these guys, the fruit is angry, brutal, self-centered leadership, which shouldn't surprise you when you're teaching. Because what it means is I'm better than you. Literally, it means I'm I'm the leader because why? Because I'm built different. I'm made as this leader. And well, you're you're basically teaching in your Trinitarian theology that God is the leader because He's eternally above Jesus. That's not why God is 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 the the head of the Trinity. And, and so by by getting this flawed picture of the it's, image e- it's of even God, mistaken to think of terms of the head of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like, correct. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like I'm yeah. not coming at you. I'm just saying. No, like, you're, you're right. That's the kind of terminology you want to avoid. Right. And so by by as always, if you get this poor, if you're viewing the God through this dirtied or broken lens, you can't but help. Then when you turn to the image of God and, and man, you can't help but make mistakes, and those are bad mistakes to make. So yeah, I, I agree. It's you guys. Do your theology carefully and don't don't take shortcuts to try and score goals. You, you're, you're fine with just what the Bible says about God and man. You don't need to try and twist it around so that you can kind of use it as a club to, to hit people, even if it's people that you disagree with. Look, I disagree with feminist theology, yeah, obviously. I mean, let's, let's get on to them because... Yeah. Uh, feminism is one of the many people when I say this they kind of look at me funny because they feel like I'm getting political but what people need to understand is yeah, that feminism not. is not just oh votes for women anymore and has not been for a very long time like a hundred yeah, years but, <laughs> but even if you go back by the way and look at the original feminist movement a lot of it was pushed by communism in the first place it's these communist post postmodern strange ideas that you're all very familiar with you know what wokeism is i'm sure you know and the postmodern thing of scripture by the way I was yeah just the cri- it's all critical it, theory yeah, dismantle early. it break it down was, it wasn't as developed at the time but that's where a lot of that came yeah, from yeah. and so feminism theology is exactly the same people but they're doing theology now these are the ones that argued that uh, Gomer is the hero of the book of Hosea, not the tragic villain, that Delilah is the one whose example we should be following, not I Samson's. I have like, some questions. It, oh, it's, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, They'll no, say, it, they say the book of Hosea, which poor. is written about how Gomer was an unfaithful wife, and that's why Israel was unfaithful to God. They're saying Gomer is the ideal woman because she was becoming sexually self-actualized, but was beaten down in a patriarchal society. So when you deconstruct the patriarchal book of Hosea, oh you gosh. see that the perspective was of these men trying to dominate these women so what we need to read is actually that's incorrect and gomer is the one that we want to be like sexually liberated and not listening to any man and just going and living our best life however we can and breaking the chains so this never happens again that's feminist theology i don't know ma'am like maybe go get your own religion no, well, <laughs> like I'm, not, I'm not trying but to be rude, infectious. but it's like, It's infectious. Yeah. All these ideas, they have to break everything. If you right, believe that right, everything right. needs to be broken apart, you're going to send out little tendrils into all For these sure. things and trying to rip them apart. You're going to try sure. to put down roots in every denomination, in every seminary, right. in every church for that matter. Yeah. So they, <laughs> Christian feminists, so-called, especially don't like the Trinity. Because the Trinity is the most robust defense of what we would call complementarianism. Because mm-hmm. what do we say? We say that... 
You are equal to your husband even when you submit to him. Why? Because Jesus is equal to the Father even when he was in submission to him. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't believe in God in the first place. In, in most cases, they don't believe the Bible is authoritative. They believe it's patriarchal and it's got to be bre- broken to pieces. And Christian theology is patriarchal and that's got to be deconstructed too because they don't want to be submissive in the home. They believe that that is demeaning and that that is shameful, which they're not. It's a, it's a terrible thing to say something like that. They certainly hate Paul. They certainly don't believe anywhere that Jesus gave these indications he was right. You got guys like Kevin Giles, who is one feminist theologian, male feminist, you know, the those delightful people, <laughs> who he's advocated for the ordination of women, the breaking apart of the teaching of submission and love between men and women in in marriage and family based on his understanding of the Trinity, which is Mm. there is, you know, there's, there's, they're all equal. There's no subordination at all. There's no submission at all. And what they start to do is they start to confound the persons and they say, there's no distinction between the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. There's three of them, but they're all exactly the same. And, you know, because you can't say that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. That makes him different. What a poetically yeah, it's, sad it's way very, to view God. You file off all the differences, the wonderful, mysterious differences between the three persons of the Godhead. And it turns out that when you do that, when you then look at the image that God created in man, you file off all the differences between them too. Yeah. You just take away everything that's beautiful. Very samey. Yeah, it's everything that's beautiful and wonderful and mysterious about the differences between men and women that God created. And you say, no, we can't have those because then that would create. And you got to remember, guys, these are people that are obsessed with the idea of power. Mm-hmm. To them, there can be no such thing as good power. Yeah, there is no, there is no such thing as Christian truth, Christ, new, true Christian church. That every text is there. What the postmodernists will say is there is no text. There is only context. Right. Words don't mean anything. How they were said is all that matters. And so, to them, if they see some person having power over another person. We, we, even godly authority of any authority of any kind it must be brutal and authoritarian and repressive now and this is why you guys it's important as a pastor leader man husband wherever you know wife you know mother wherever whatever position god has given you it is so important to do these things right and biblically because you have to demonstrate and i'm going to speak especially to the men you have to demonstrate and give the lie to this in your life you must be a good and godly authority figure. Why? Because you can demonstrate, look, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can hold authority and power and not abuse and hurt people. Yeah. Right? Look, watch me. Watch as in my church, I don't do that. This is possible. That's that's why Jesus and the church is the example of husband and wife yes in the bible right of course in is Ephesians jesus brutalizing five. his his bride is he harming self sacrifice exactly for his bride. so this is why these things are so important Either the way that we walk out our marriages you ought to be able to point to the way you treat your wife and say is this awful <laughs> is she suffering yeah, and wives you should speak up too yeah yeah i know there's course. a lot of pressure on you ladies to bend the knee to feminism or at least give lip service to it even though i'll tell you a lot of folks my age and younger i've just about had it <laughs> i'm not a feminist are you crazy you know so <laughs> yeah I, that, that's changing and yeah. and we need to be the ones that are speaking up on that because feminism is is doing serious damage to true christian theology which they don't believe in any such thing they believe right. that that's all problematic and that all needs to be deconstructed and that's what they do they don't believe that the trinity is three persons equal in value but different in role they believe in three co-equal persons who do not differ either in role or substance and you say how do you get that biblically you don't that's what they believe and they went to the bible to try to go find it or they they or they, they, they they deconstruct i mean literally they, they they deconstruct scripture to find 
and this is why many of them are into higher biblical criticism is, well, originally there must have been some other form of the text or some other formation of the doctrine that said something different that was superseded by this patriarchal different theology. Read The Heresy of Orthodoxy, which is a fantastic book that we... <laughs> You're going to have to start putting here. a nickel in the jar every time you I recommend know, that I book. Oh, them some royalties. <laughs> well, it's, it's good for a reason. And what they say is, hey, guess what? Sorry, historically, there was no... There was no patriarchal yeah. theology council that rooted out all these beautiful, diverse theologies and destroyed them. That just, it didn't happen. It's a nonsuch. Well, if you're a feminist, you believe that originally there was a feminist utopia that was led by matriarchs until eventually the men took it over Correct. and everything that exists comes from that. So uh, feminist teaching does not come to the Bible to be taught. They come with an agenda and an ideology already in place. There are people who believe that your status in society says everything about you. Mm. And so when you come well, in, you say, awful thing to say, I, I know that, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's well, back yeah, to yeah, Marx. Yeah. That's yeah. back to the postmodernists. That's uh, these political ideologies is everything about you is, is your status. Meanwhile, the Lord God comes in and says, that's not true. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right, we sing at a Christmas time. For the slave is our brother. Right, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, men, women, you know, old men, young men, the Philippians, uh, do, slaves, do not and think free. It robbery to be equal he, he, with God. He, he, yeah, laid right? himself, laid laid aside all these things, made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bonds, like the ultimate statement. The incarnation is the ultimate statement of God saying, "This doesn't matter." I'll, I will literally choose, look, look what I can do. I can do this. And, and, you know, now does my, does my role, does my economy change who I am now? Was Jesus somehow less God when he was, you know, by, by being incarnated? Of course not. Now, of course, they, yeah, they'll well, attack that because they'll say, well, of course he was. And that's why we have to destroy that idea. But yeah, well, the, and, and woof. we could do a whole show on postmodernism too. I someday, mean, it's someday. so many people say things that I'm like, I don't think you really believe everything that is wrapped up in that sentence you just said when you say things like my truth you know when you when you say things like deconstruct it's like do you realize what that means like the 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 philosophy that undergirds all of that so anyway that's that's not the point of the thing today just the point is that feminists are a very prominent modern example of uh confounding the persons of messing it up of uh, pushing out the Trinity, the, the back door. So we've looked at various examples of this, of, of enemies of of the Trinity. And I believe that, as I said at the beginning, there are many people that are perfectly willing to be corrected on these things mm -hmm. in love, which is what we've tried to do today. Because here's the deal, guys. We as a culture have a hard time with authority huh. and structure and limitations. Yep. Um, that's our blind spot. You know, if, if you can learn one thing from a postmodernist, which you didn't have to learn it from them, but they won't shut up about it, is that everybody has blind spots and biases and presuppositions. All right. One of ours mm. is that we don't like to be told what to do. Not and you come to something like the Trinity, which is a <laughs> yeah. 1700 plus year old doctrine. It, it compels you and commands you. And that can be difficult for us. Mm. But what the Bible presents to us is a glorious, beautiful mysterious picture of God. And when you open up your Bible, that's where it's going to take you. And it's better to do this, to, to stand with almost every Christian, even a various deviant sects of the church that still hold on to this mm. because it's that important. And next time we're going to talk about very positively about how believing in the Trinity should affect your life and mm. your your worship and your prayer. And um, we're going to have a, a, a pretty joyful time talking about that. So, Zach, any, any final words for us here? No, just this is one of those great cases of where, look, you, you got to 
it's worth doing the work. I know we've talked about this all the time, but this is why we do this podcast, guys. It's it's so worth putting in the effort to understand these things. And I know it's effort. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis he talks about where he said, sometimes you just got to sit down with a pencil in your hand and just work on a bit of theology. And I love that because it's like, look, that's that's what it is. It's just like anything else. God is going to reward you when you work hard at these things. And they might not strike you in this moment of inspiration. You might have to sit down and say, hang on a second. Is it, wait, is it is he, is he subordinated or is he submitting? Like, work on it. It's okay to do that. And man, the, 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 the rewards you receive from grabbing onto these truths and like you said, receiving them and submitting to them, it's, it is so worth it. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for listening, y'all. We'll finish this up next time. Uh, it's It might be Christmas by the time you get it, so Merry Christmas to all of you, and we will see you very soon. God bless. Thanks, guys.